they would talk about that customer as like the girlfriend of the real outdoorsman, right? She didn't need necessarily the same quality of gear, um, didn't get the same considerations mm-hmm. as a customer for someone who's going to be active and like killing it outside and doing these really badass things. It was like, oh, she's just this like accessory for <laughs> to be out there with men and we're going to right. design for her accordingly. Welcome to The Value of One, The Power of All, a podcast created by the Ron Brown Scholar Program. Since 1996, this organization has been investing in the next generation of African-American leaders. And this podcast highlights the stories of the scholars, alumni, staff, and friends that make this program special. Hey, y'all. This is Ray Pryor, 2015 Ron Brown Scholar. And in this episode, you'll be listening to my talk with Brittany Coleman. She's a Ron Brown Scholar from the class of 2009, graduated from Duke and got her MBA from Wake Forest. And now she is the founder of Tough Cutie, an outdoor apparel brand focused on socks designed by and for women. Brittany has worn a lot of hats in her career. Sometimes, and maybe even most times, she would say, more than one hat at once. She's been in education, she's been in tech, she's been in retail, And now she's building her own hiking sock brand that'll be sold at national retailers like Dick's Sporting Goods and soon REI. The story of Tough Cutie is far from over, but but in this conversation, Brittany talks not just about the successes and the exciting things on the horizon for her and her company, but also about the frustration, the rejection, and the moments where she nearly gave up. Take a listen. Yeah, so I am a um, 2009 RBS scholar, proudly, of course. This was um, right after the recession, so what a time to get this scholarship, and I was so grateful for it, I, let me tell you that. I still remember my selection weekend, as so many of us probably do, so acutely. You know, we played mafia and just made friendships that I still have today. So, so grateful, always will be so grateful for the Ron Brown Scholar Program, just because it really set the tone for essentially where I am now. I went to Duke University, as you said, four fabulous years there, got the opportunity to study abroad. And I was a French and a public policy major, thought I was going to go into education policy. And that didn't quite turn out the way I thought, but definitely took a lot of influence from just being a Ron Brown scholar and wanting to give back and, and put community first. And I came back from from studying or from teaching English abroad after I graduated from Duke and I actually became a college advisor for a year. So I joined the Duke College Advising Corps, wanting to make sure that everything that I got as a scholar, as somebody who had access to higher education, wanted to give back some of those same opportunities. So that program was all about getting low-income, first-gen students, access to resources, learning how to fill out your application, apply for the FAFSA, all these things that I had just done, you know, four years ago. And then I went to business school. I went to the Wake Forest University School of Business, you know, as you alluded Mm -hmm. to, and that was very much came as an opportunity through the extended Ron Brown Alumni Network. I, I learned about this program through the Ron Brown community and the partnership that Ron Brown has with Wake Forest and was luckily enough, lucky enough to be selected for that program. 
And I would say, I would say Awake is where I initially probably cut my teeth at both entrepreneurship as well as getting into the industry that I'm in today, which is apparel, textiles. I was a Haynes Brands fellow and got access to incredible amounts of mentorships from, you know, these leaders of this multi-billion dollar company, right? Were sitting with me and giving me advice and giving me mentorship. And that was directly due to, you know, becoming a, a Haynes Brands fellow and having learned about the program from Ron Brown. So you know, if you look all throughout my career, one way or another, you can really pinpoint these areas that have continued to impact my uh, trajectory uh, since since I was 18 years old and won the scholarship. Yeah. So I, I appreciate thinking about just the life cycle of a Ron Brown scholar and how at each milestone, I think a lot of us can point to different moments where the program not just played a minor role or, or had an impact, but really like shifted the trajectory of, of made an opportunity mm-hmm. possible or made you aware of something that literally would not have existed had it not been for this community that you met, like you said, when we were, we were teenagers, you know, we were kids kicking yeah. it and playing mafia and, and <laughs> hanging out in the, in the hospitality suite. And I mean, it's a, you know, there's so many things can happen just, just out of that, mm-hmm. that little moment. I know that you, you already talked a little bit about the Haynes Brand Fellowship and and how uh you you came across that and i know we'll get to the the point in your story where you walk through when you decided you wanted to do tough cutie and and and, mm-hmm. and all of that how instrumental or when you were thinking about launching your your a business or any business that you've ever had an idea for in the future did you know that fellowships like that existed and that you sought them out or was that something that you found along your journey as as you were doing it that fellowship was very unique, very specific to kind of the Ron Brown community and just where I was in my life. And I would say that I just kind of happened upon it from being connected to Ron Brown. But in terms of the different types of fellowships that I've done since then that are very, very rooted in like entrepreneurship and accelerators and things like that, that definitely came later. Um, I was mm-hmm. not aware of fellowships as they related to entrepreneurship until I was already an entrepreneur. <laughs> Looking backwards, do you wish you would have jumped to where you are or, you know, do, do, would you have rather taken the 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 path that you did of, of jumping right in? I was actually just thinking about that point. And I, even though, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, like there have been some real painful, real world low lows, but I, I think I'm actually very grateful for them because hmm. I think sometimes if things are too easy, you don't appreciate them as much at the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, the hardest, realest truth about life and hardest one to accept because uh, mm-hmm. you can't avoid it, you know? Um, yeah. And when you're talking about some of those those challenging moments, I know that, that you you have had, like you said, multiple, um, but one in particular um, that, that, you, that you had shared with me before was... Um, your experiences working at a company that kind of inspired what Tough Cutie ended up being. And I was wondering if you could yeah. take us there of what you were doing, what you were experiencing, and, uh, and, and what uh, made you say enough is enough. I'm going yeah. to do this. I'm going to do this differently. Yeah. So I found myself working in a culture that, you know, at, now that I've spoken to a lot of other female entrepreneurs in a lot of different industries, seems to be very endemic to a lot of professional women. But um, in my case, my specific scenario, I found myself in this culture where, um, you know, women were 
essentially like running this company from, you know, these key strategic positions, you know, sales, um, operations, distributions, right? They had these key positions, but they didn't have the title and they weren't in the the decision-making roles. Um, it was more so about executing and executing well because the company was functioning well and it was bringing in money and right. But, you know, I kept seeing these men running these companies and these very specific scenarios where they just weren't including women in decisions where women really should have been included. So one example is starting a women's brand. Like that was the thing for a while. And you would think that if 70, 80% of your company is women and you rely on these women to keep it going, then you would invite us women to these strategic meetings about how to launch a brand that appeals to us. And that just didn't happen. Right. Like, and, and it's just like, really? Like what? You know, um, other other things I experienced, and and this is really you know why Tough Cutie is an outdoor brand is because you know I found myself managing kind of the licensee for another outdoor brand, specifically the sock division. You know, had complete P and L responsibility for it, and the, they would talk about that customer as like the girlfriend of the real outdoorsman. Right? She didn't need necessarily the same quality of gear, didn't get the same considerations mm-hmm. as a customer for someone who's going to be active and like killing it outside and doing these really badass things. It was like, oh, she's just this like accessory for (laughs) to be out there with men and we're going to design for her accordingly. And, you know, there were some other things going on on a macro level, like lots of women um, were starting to just speak out about the lack of equity in other industries. And so I'm being influenced by all these other things that are just happening. You know, the Women's March, all these things are playing into just what I'm noticing. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous because you guys have all these resources, all these resources, and you can't, you can't figure this out. And it's because mm. you don't understand and don't want to understand what it is to like put women first. and have us be at the table as equals. You just kind of want to talk at us. <laughs> and so yeah. that's really the core thing that made me say, you know, I know enough about all of this. You know, I may not have it perfect. And I will say as an entrepreneur, I have been humbled many times since, <laughs> since then, <laughs> but still had a lot of conviction that I could figure it out. And that's what I've been doing since then. I wanted to get your thoughts on this since it's it's relevant for a lot of different demographics that that are overlooked, underestimated, unappreciated, women, people of color, just just a mm-hmm. lot of different dimensions. Some businesses, you know, particularly post 2020 have taken the stance of being equitable and being fair and just treating people well is good for business. So it 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 hits their bottom line and and so mm-hmm. that's that's part of the the pull to do it. Mm-hmm. And and what always kind of puzzled me about Maybe just the apparel industry overall, um, like how you're saying, you know, a lot of these brands want launching women's lines that clearly didn't really consider the customer themselves. And, did, and, and, and so I'm just curious if you think that is it are they leaving? Do they not do it because they don't even see the value in women, period? It, are they also not doing it because they don't see that if you treat women well, that they're probably way better customers than men ever will be. Um, like what, what is, what go, I don't know these guys and I haven't been in the boardrooms with them. You've sat through this nonsense. What, 
what is going through their heads, if anything, that, that they miss these kind of opportunities? Yeah. I think in some cases it is just like pure ignorance. Like some of them, some of them, maybe if they were educated and point, you know, it was kind of pointed out like, Hey, this is a problem might do something about it, but they just mm. like, it just isn't even a part of the way that they think about the world that, mm. um, <laughs> that they would stop to make these decisions. It seems so obvious, right? But I don't know. I think other people are just accustomed to doing things the way that they do them and that's how they do them. And that's how they're going to keep doing them. And, you know, whether it's intrinsic bias or just they truly were some people who did not see women as their equals. I mean, that's just how it is. But it's actually kind of funny because we, there were conversations about like women as a white space opportunity, right? So like from a strategy standpoint, a lot of them knew from a business standpoint, to your point, that marketing yeah. to women could be very valuable. But there was not the there was not the connection that like talking to women in the process of marketing <laughs> to women was yeah. also important. So <laughs> yeah. Mm. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people launch and they haven't done their customer discovery. Right. I think that's a good point, too, is is not only is that just awful as a human being, it's just bad. It's bad on all accounts. You're you're just not 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 clicking in 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 the way that you need to just as a as an entrepreneur or as a business. Mm -hmm. I I know that you you reached a point in in that environment where you're like, enough is enough. I'm going to. You know, I'm going to do my own thing, and and I know we'll get to that point. I'm, but before you got there, I'm curious if any part of you felt that the that the pressure of the the powers that be, particularly in an industry that's so dominated by men, um, that that you're that you decide you want to take on, was there any part of you that was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. Like this is this is a lot. This is this is a lot to overcome, even just as an employee where I'm sitting and then I'm going to in some ways become their competitor. Was there any sense of doubt or were you like, no, nah, this is what I do. And, and so I'm going to do this. Yeah, no, the doubt didn't come till later. <laughs> mm. Once I was already in it and trying to like navigate, you know, what is it? What's the reality of building a company versus like what is the conviction of having an idea um, and mm. wanting to run with that? Right. Um, Mm. so yeah, absolutely not. You couldn't tell me when I decided that I was going to do this, that I wasn't going to do this. Like it, Mm -hmm. it it was almost like, like these, (laughs) anybody who's ever worked in a company where you like fundamentally disagree with the way that they operate and you are thinking like, wow, I could run this so much better. Like nobody's out there thinking like, well, maybe can I, no, you are like, you, you believe it because you know, you're in your own head. Absolutely. And I think you need that too. You you need that push. Like you said, even if you get humbled mm-hmm. later, you, you need that thrust to not only survive in that environment, even if you just want to be there, but let mm-hmm. alone to step out on your own. I hear people say this all the time. To be an entrepreneur, you kind of got to be crazy a little bit. You know, you, you, you kind of got to, you got to be a little hard headed. People going to look at you wild and be like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, then you know, what are we doing? Um, so, so cool. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. So you, the, you know, whatever the day is or the moment or the moments that you decide, you know what, I'm done. What do you do next? What, what, what is like the, the first thing that you do? Did, did you already know Tough Cutie is it before you even walked out the door or 
did was that something that, that was kind of a something you discovered over time? The name came to me pretty quickly. Um, you know, I didn't a lot of people have to kind of ruminate and like or maybe engage third parties to do some, you know, creative exercise and pick from a list and all that. The name came to me at some point. I didn't know. I knew I wanted to start a women's brand. I didn't know it was going to be called Tough Cutie until like it just came to me the one day. Um, and then I was like, that's it. That's what it is. And I think a lot of that is because as women, like we go through the things we go through and we we've had to pretty much all women I know have had to balance this expectation of being you know, dainty, being soft, small, whatever it is, you got to like fit into this box. We all get programmed really early that that's how you're supposed to be. But at the same time, like having to shoulder some really significant responsibilities and having to basically be a, like 10 different people, you know, mom, businesswoman, sister, daughter, like whatever, whatever it is, uh, we are all trying to manage these different personas, these different shoes that we have to step into. That's that's a big part of the brand is filling all the different shoes. That's a responsibility to us that we're responsible for. And Tough Cutie is kind of playing off that juxtaposition. It's kind of like, you know what, instead of having these expectations and like fitting in, like I'm going to, I'm going to do what I need to do. Like I'm going to step in and I'm going to be cute right now. Or I'm going to turn it off and we're going to be down to business or I'm going to turn it back on and I'm going to be charming. And maybe we're still getting down to business because I need to get this thing done. Like it's all about this thing of just like taking back the agency of what it is Mm. to be a woman instead of like having to always like rise to other people's expectations. And I don't have it in front of me right this second, but I can share with you too the exact definition that we have. You know, I think it's I think for tough, it is able to endure hardship or pain. And having the confidence to cope in difficult situations, and then cutie is just a, a an attractive or endearing person. And most women, yeah. we are those things. Yeah, I I really love the name and the concept of representing this dance that you have to go through on a day to day basis between all the identities that you um, mm-hmm. that that women um, in our society and our community hold and. I think it's great that you created a brand and a product that doesn't force women literally or physically to have to change as they're bouncing mm-hmm. around. You know, and, and yeah. I, I think that that's a like you said the agency of being whoever you need to be in that moment is something that um obviously it's dope when you got on fly socks that can work for whatever <laughs> occasion you're going to, you know, but yeah. but but also that you that gives you the, I don't know, it just seems like it's a, it's a breath of fresh air of, of being able to be your authentic self, whatever that looks like in this moment, whatever environment that sits in. Yeah, that, that's powerful. So when you were thinking about, you know, you, you said you decided you want to do a women's brand. Tough Cutie came to you at some point in uh-huh. the future. When did the, uh, when did like the, the brand that you chose itself of, of, of outdoor like the, that specific apparel line, when did that become clear to you versus shirts or versus other yeah. things that you could have, uh, that you could have created? Yeah. So I had been working that, that brand I was managing before, like was a sock brand for an outdoor company. And I think choosing to continue with 
the outdoor product was really me trying to like correct a wrong. <laughs> like that's that's really how it felt. It was like, wow, I'm so offended by the way that these women were treated. And and mind you, at that point, you know, I and this is a really big discussion now that I'm in the outdoor industry that I that I can recognize that this is common for people of color in the outdoor industry. But at that time, I wouldn't have described myself as outdoorsy, quote unquote, right? Like super mm-hmm. active, very much, you know, always enjoyed being outside, always enjoyed having a lot of energy and discovering new places. But it wasn't the great outdoors. It wasn't necessarily like national parks. It wasn't like what I now understand is kind of the elitism of the outdoor industry that I've mm. I've learned as I've built a business here. But still, I felt like it was almost more important that I was coming as an outsider uh, to of the outdoor industry to kind of say like, hey, like, listen, these these men are treating these women like crap. Like they like this is not OK for for this type of thing to be a part of y'all's industry. Um, And I'm going to join it because I can, because I have something to say about it. And because we can all like (laughs) learn from, from a business standpoint, how we can make changes in our industries. And that's, you know, that's what it was all about for me. Yeah. And you're sticking it right to him. I like that. I like that. (laughs) Um, well, it was just like, y'all yeah. can't be doing this in this industry or that one. Like, this is ridiculous. So, right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So after you, you got some clarity on what you wanted the brand to be, what were those early days like of designing, of uh, business planning, of yeah. how the heck am I going to sell these? Where am I going to sell them? <laughs> uh, what, what, was, what, what, were, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, that was a really interesting time. So I got another job in the interim and was working on building Tough Beauty at night. It was actually really funny. There's a bar down the street from where I used to live. And we would go there like after work with our lab. My boyfriend and I would go there with our laptops and like get a drink and work. And like they kind of knew us. Like it was kind of nerdy because I'm like, who goes to a bar (laughs) with your laptops? (laughs) But it was like the only time I had was... Like my free time when I wasn't working, I, I did a wholly different job in a different industry. But then I was trying to be social, but also get my work done <laughs> for my business. So, you know, I'd be doing like random things like that. And initially started building out a business plan. I wrote this like 70 page business plan that in hindsight was a little bit overkill. Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure I would recommend to a new entrepreneur that you start with a business plan. You might just start with the outline. I started to try to pull all these things together. I knew that I wanted to work with a factory that was based in the United States because I knew from prior research that like it's really important for outdoor brands, especially sock brands that were premium, which is what I wanted to be, to have a like to be made here in the United States. And like more than that, I also wanted it to be women owned. And that again mm-hmm. was like paying homage to or like trying to fix this wrong. Um it's very yeah. hard to find a women-owned factory, you know, because everything's been outsourced, period, but especially one for socks. So that was a big thing. And I found one and learned pretty quickly that I was not going to be able to afford this product because the minimums were extremely high, like like Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of socks I would have, you know, um, or tens of thousands of dollars and then like at minimum 10,000 pairs of socks to start with, which is... 
really a lot of units for a new brand. Yeah. Is that normal for like apparel companies to Uh, have to buy that much in bulk at the, at the front end or for domestic manufacturing of socks, Hmm. it's going to be in the thousands, you know, could be lower thousands, but of course me, like bougie me, I wanted the most expensive, the most like premium quality materials. I wanted to source it in the United States. I wanted to source it from a women owned factory. Like had all these requirements that were just like requirements, not suggestions. And so I ended up with this number and I kind of just like, at that point being very influenced by these like D2C brands that had been starting up, you know, in the, the teens, like 20, 2013, 2017. Um, you know, all these brands that were basically coming in with reinventing an existing category and figuring out that you could appeal to your customer directly, that you didn't necessarily have to sell to a brick and mortar retailer, that you could just kind of cut out that middleman. And I was like, well, 10,000 units. I mean, I will probably figure out something to do with them. I don't know. Like, (laughs) we'll figure it out. Meanwhile, I didn't know anything about selling online really in the way that you need to do it to move that kind of volume up front. Um, but I thought I did, right? I, I told you I knew everything um, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the start. And I just kind of kept talking to this factory, working with them. At one point, this is a, one of those low moments, tried to do a Kickstarter fundraiser or whatever. That was ultimately not successful at all. And I would say that was like a real a real like I don't want to say slap in the face, but as a humbling moment where I was like, wow, like mm. I have a great business plan. I have experience in this industry. Like I know a lot of people, but I don't have the friends and family, you know, to just give me the startup capital. Mm. Um and I went to a good school. We shoot, you know it, obviously went to a good right. school. <laughs> yeah. Had even a good network and still didn't know anything about raising money, community, fundraising, none of it. Like, I didn't know anything about that. And so, yeah, it was a very, like, humbling moment to not raise, like, raise barely any money and have to be like, okay, there's there's a big flaw in your logic. And at that point, I had actually put my full-time job at risk because it was like, oh, now you're working on this thing. Like, you're not fully committed. Like, you, Mm -hmm. you know you're stressed, like you've got this other thing going on. And it was a very public failure. Like a lot of people get to fail in private, but this is something I put out there. I put on my networks. I like emailed people that I knew still wasn't able to, to make it happen. And so, yeah, just kind of went into a hole after that for a little while. (laughs) You know, even if it doesn't completely destroy you know, your, your confidence and everything you're building, it definitely sucks the momentum out of, out of yeah. anybody who's trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I it so was, too. That was- <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, you, you got the plan, you got you, even you, like your, your, your RBS Duke. Um, did you already have your Wake Forest? Mm-hmm. Did you already have your MBA at this point too? Right. I, so you're I, like, I, 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 and you obviously had direct experience in the industry, so you know what you're talking about. Yeah. What more are you looking for to and and even even for for folks like for folks as, as qualified as yourself, it's still hard to raise money. Mm-hmm. 
how did you uh how did you dig yourself out of that that hole yeah so this is the part where i got my conviction back because i i i swear to god i would have given up after this probably we don't know i mean so maybe not but i felt like i was going <laughs> to give up all the way um but i entered into a pitch competition with a company called title nine and um you know, for anyone unfamiliar, Title IX, the 1972 legislation that made it illegal to discriminate against women in higher ed sports. Prior to them, and even for a while after that law was passed, like even today, there's just these huge inequities between men's sports programs and like female sports programs in terms of the money um, available to support these athletes. Um, and Missy Park founded. Um, I can't remember how many years ago, like 25 something years ago, a, a brand called Title IX named after this legislation. And over the years, built it up into this multi-million dollar entity force for women in sports, women in outdoors. She's actually got a really great How I Built This. If you want to go listen to that podcast after this one. Um, nice. But she has, Title IX has a, what's called Pitch Fest competition for up-and-coming female brands and I got the semifinals of that and I was like okay well somebody believes it and then I got to the finals and that was um, a whirlwind and then I got to go pitch and I won as <laughs> one of three winners and I felt like the underdog going in there because I didn't even have any product at that point I had a I had a prototype but it wasn't usually you know they take more finished brands and we were like the product was done but i didn't have the packaging yet i still had like very specific like operational things to take care of that i needed money for and and i won this pitch competition and i i think it's because i was able to win the crowd with my story and my why and everything we talked about here today and that was that experience was fundamental to my growth as an entrepreneur because i went from this kind of rogue you know entrepreneur who believes these things about women and like you know feels like I'm going to be making a making a difference with my company um even if it sucks like I'm making a difference because I believe these things about making product in this way and treating women this certain way and now I had this community of all these other women-owned brands because that's what title IX did they had all these other ones every year and if you win you get into this group called the Movers and Makers. And it's all these women who are doing basically the same thing I'm doing. And I cannot tell you, every entrepreneur you've talked to or will talk to will probably tell you at one point or another, like having community is like fundamental. Like you have yeah. to have some level of support system, like outside your family, outside your significant other. They don't want to hear it after a minute. Like <laughs> you can only tell them yeah. so many things so many times. So like having people who truly have been in the trenches and can help you um, make sense of things is critical. And yeah. so, yeah, winning that competition got me distribution in all of their stores, all of the Title IX stores across the country. Uh -huh. And if you know anything about retail, sometimes it's kind of like a domino effect. It's like, oh, they're jumping in. This is legit. You know, then it's um, it becomes real. And after that, I got deals with Dick's Sporting Goods, New Concept Public Lands, and then uh, launched my website. 
I went to um, a trade show that's really niche and outdoor specialty and got a bunch of accounts from there. And in uh, spring 23, which is in just a few weeks, we're launching at REI, which is the market leader um, for the outdoor industry. And so, yep, I almost gave up and then now I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. There's there's this there's this quote or maybe it's a meme and I, I wish I remembered it off the top of my head where there's somebody who's in a particular environment where nobody sees their value and then all they do is kind of shift into a different one. They don't change anything about what they have or what they're doing and then all of a sudden yeah. they're they're amazing. I really wish I remembered what it was. That kind of shift sounds like what you experienced from trying to crowdfund and reaching out to to your network that you know, fell short of, of what your expectations were fine, you know, but, but still persevering and knowing you're going to take the next step. What, what's the next thing I got to do? What's the next thing? And then I, I'm, I already know after you won that pitch competition, you got your swag back, you know, like <laughs> now, now we're in this thing. Now we're going to mm-hmm. do it, man. I, I don't know much about the outdoors. Like you said, I'm not a super outdoorsy person, whatever that means, <laughs> but I know REI is legit. So, so congratulations to you for, um, you. for that. That's the only outdoor store I know for certain. Um, and <laughs> I see you when I drive around. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's huge that, that 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 came through. Yeah, man. So so I and I remember you sharing this before that along with a lot that came with the pitch competition, the community and the network that you talked about, they were also your first um, gave you your first distribution, like your first mm-hmm. accounts that, that you yeah. needed, which is huge whenever you're building anything, just like the first sale, the first whatever it is, man. And, 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 and like you said, it's a domino effect or, or kind of like a. Um, a snowball effect after that, that that once you start building some momentum, things happen for you. Can you talk a little bit about just that experience of going through something like that as, as an entrepreneur? Because on the on the outside, like when you draw the graph backwards, it looks like, oh, yeah, everything's going up. Everything's mm-hmm. going great. But oh, normally yeah. the chart looks a lot more like, you know, a bunch of up and down that yeah. generally trends upward. If you look back far yeah. enough, you know. Um, if you look so, back far yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what you're you're starting to experience some success. You you win this competition. You you're you're in this community. Was everything just going great, or what? What what else was happening <laughs> as as you were as you were going through this? Well, like no, because I told you I won this competition, but I still hadn't figured out how I was going to buy this product. <laughs> like I just right. had the. Right. <laughs> I didn't even have packaging, right? But like, I had a really solid commitment from Title Nine to say, like, when you get your stuff together, we'll put it in our stores, right? <laughs> so I still had to go figure out how to do that. And I actually had another pitch competition right after that one that I didn't win. But it was kind of like, well, I won one, I can't win them all. So and it was in that way, yeah. the other failures were a little bit helpful because in the subsequent failures, of which there were many, mm. like it didn't really sting as much. You kind of were just right. like, all right, all right, well, I'll just like brush this off onto the next thing. And so like had to figure out how I was going to pay for this product. And I was kind of allergic to loans. Like I, I a lot of people of color, especially I talked to like we are not raised uh, like either we were raised on loans and we're like, oh, no, no, no. Like our parents made some real bad right. decisions and that's not what we're exactly. going to do. Or yeah. like, we just don't have the education about like what what it truly means to like leverage debt to propel your company forward. Um, right. It's like, that's a bad word. You know, obviously with Ron Brown was 
very lucky to not have any student loan debt. So I haven't, you know, personally had experience of, of having that. And so, yeah, I was still not wanting to do that. And I figured out, you know, I'd read a lot of, of other companies had kind of leveraged their factory as their bank. But the way you do that is very specific. Like it's about getting extended terms, right? So right. you say, I'll buy this, these units, you know, from you guys, give me 30, 45, whatever, 60 days to pay you. I'll pay you in 60 days. And in the meantime, I'm going to like bust my butt to sell these units so that I have the money to pay you. Right. So right. in that sense, they're kind of financing you a little bit because that you get right. terms. But I was kind of like, oh, that's fine. But I still don't like I still got to figure out Title Nine is taking a certain amount, but they're not taking 10,000. Right. No retailers taking 10,000. So I ended up actually working with my factory to become like a literal partner of mine, a strategic partner of mine, because they're also women owned, which like this mm. is this is critical because at every point in my journey, it's been like men too, but women like kind of stepping up at these critical moments, right. To make these paths possible and like understanding me, you know, I work with this factory for like, honestly, two to three years, just like, keep coming back, keep coming back. Like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. They're like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, it's probably kind of a joke for them internally for a while because it was so long that I was like trying to get this going. And at one point it was just like, all right, we are going to finance, like we are going to be your strategic partner and basically give you these units to go do the thing because you've got distribution and you're showing that you are in this for more than a few minutes. Right. Right. I want to jump back to, to that moment, but uh, before we do so, I think you highlighted some really powerful things that black entrepreneurs in particular struggle with. When you talk about our relationship to debt, our relationship to financing overall, like you said, it's, it can be one or the other. Either way, it's very scarring. It, no, no one's like, you know, super excited to take on a loan in order to, to build something, even though from a business perspective, sometimes that's exactly what you should do and exactly what is the best thing to do if you can get the right terms, if you can get the right partners and you're not getting screwed over, you know, all of those things. And I'm even thinking back even earlier in your story when you initially wanted to raise money um, and, and wanted to, to kind of crowdfund folks being a part of you building this. And I know debt is one way to do it. Equity can be another way to do it. And even sometimes black entrepreneurs, we struggle to be willing to give up ownership of what we're building and, and, and want, particularly now in this, in, you know, kind of this recent movement of, oh, I want to own it all, you know, pay me an equity pay, you know, and, and when a lot of these big companies or, or successful companies, you have to give up a piece in order to have a bigger, you know, have a bigger pie overall. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering if you could take us back to those moments when you're figuring out how the heck I'm going to have money. Did you have family members being like, oh, no, Brittany, you're not doing that. No, 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 absolutely not. No, you're, you're not going into that. Or did you have other people who were saying, Brittany, you got to explore X, Y, Z. And, and how did you make sense of that as, as you're making those decisions? Yeah, my family wasn't really like, no, don't, don't give up any equity or don't do that. I wouldn't say that I had that you know, coming at me. I think, yeah. you know, the factory had proven to be like a really good partner at that point. Like they were kind of 
doing all this development, which is expensive. Like they have, they are paying for the raw materials and the things that I need to make this happen. And it's not a big expense for them, right? They're a million dollar company. Like they're probably right. You know, it's, it's not that big a deal, but still like they don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think that there is, I I came to understand that in that case, like the small amount of equity that I was going to be giving up was worth it for the partnership. And it also became kind of like a, validation that okay you are truly you truly believe in like agency for women that's one of our key things is we are creating agency for women in business in the outdoors whatever and in this case like as you build your company as you make money like they're gonna be entitled to some of it but that's okay because we are all making less money than men doing the same thing (laughs) And so, like, you know, there are moments where I think, oh, man, I, you know, I wish I still had all of it, right? And I'm like, I wish I had been able to figure out a different way to do this. You know, I do have those moments, but then I just have to remind myself that, like, part of your integrity is tied into the way you chose to do this. Because I probably could have gone out and gotten a loan had I tried, Um, had I not had the mental blocks around it. I'm sure I could have gotten a loan, but, you know. This works better. Yeah. You know, and, and there's no there's no right path from from what I hear from people. You know, there's different things work for different people. And really the only thing that matters is that you do it, which yeah. which you have. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it's a huge it's, it's kind of a really it's probably the biggest compliment somebody could give you, even though you could view it as giving up equity, but you could also view it as like, yo, they actually believe in this. They actually believe in yeah. me. You know, like like mm-hmm. enough to you know, in the way that we're sharing the return, they're also sharing the risk and they're also sharing the cost, yeah. you know, and then that yeah. that can be a, if you view it that way, it can be a huge like, oh, yeah, OK, so we, we have something here, you know. Yeah. We're- um, <laughs> yeah. So so after they um after they they kind of front then and say, you know, you're Brittany, you know, you're figuring this out. We want to go in with you and help you do this. What what timeline did that happen or wh- where are we? Yeah. Compared to so. Present? After Title IX, I had that account and was working on the public lands account. They also went in with me very early. I was like sending them samples as I was making the samples. <laughs> so super <laughs> grateful for the folks at um, public lands too, because they definitely hung in there and saw the vision. But yes, yeah, so I got these two retailers basically, I don't want to say on the hook, but like bought in to what I'm doing. Factory hasn't agreed yet. I'm just kind of, they're just watching this happen. And I'm initially proposing this, this arrangement to them. And I say, mm-hmm. like, if I can go get these accounts, can we explore this type of arrangement? Yes. So I start to do that. And I decide, and this is really critical in terms of entrepreneurship being its own ball game like you can you can have a degree like I have several degrees you can not have any degrees like you are going to learn the things on the go and there are just going to be things you don't know even if you went to college for xyz you still need to get educated on like entrepreneurship um and I you know realized that even with the business plan and even with the things that I had I still needed a little bit more education and I needed a very like niche education to the outdoor industry. So I applied to an accelerator program that was extremely niche. It was for only outdoor brands called Bend Bend Outdoor Works based out of Bend, Oregon. And got into that program and basically just began working the steps with the mentors, like had people from some of the most successful outdoor brands in the country mentoring me, giving me advice and resources. 
they believed in it too. And through that point is when the deal finally closed with the factory. So, you know, as I was, I had these two retailers, I'm gearing up to just get all my stuff in order from a business standpoint, getting educated in what it's like to do business in the outdoor industry. So I'm still somewhat this outsider, right? Um, outsider with like a bone to pick. But we closed, ended up closing that deal with the factory during that program. And gotcha. so that was the beginning of this year, actually. Yeah, that that happened. Maybe March, April, May timeframe, all that was going mm-hmm. on and launched in June officially. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just kind of working backwards. We start all the way at at Haynes, all the way to, <laughs> to the recent one um, in Ben. In terms of these niche accelerators, niche fellowships, um, Title IX, are you Googling like crazy? Are you networking like crazy to find out about these things? Or are these things that are kind of coming to you because people know what you're doing and, and know who you are and think you'd be a good fit? Yeah, some of it just like totally happenstance. I hadn't heard of Title IX, but just came across it really at the right time, uh, right place type of thing. And mm-hmm. then some other things, I, I tend to be really good at like keeping things in my back pocket. It's actually a skill I learned from Mike Mallory in terms of how to network. He's the master of it. Any of you, if you know Mike Mallory, y'all are like nodding your heads right now. Do you know what I'm talking about? But yeah, just like learn to kind of how to network and how to just remember people and not necessarily in like a self-serving way, but just like in a, like a genuine way of like, Oh, we had this interaction. I want to keep up with you. And, you know, I think doing that, like things naturally do come back to you, you know, if you come with that energy. So some of that happened. And like I said, the title nine network was pretty vast. And so got resources from them and, learned about things yeah i would say that's kind of how that happened mr mallory is the goat at, at all things networking <laughs> all things relationships yeah. he needs to uh, start a class they need to do a master class on him <laughs> master class i told him he needs to write a book if he's not already working yes. on it he's, he's got a lot of projects that, that, that are on his plate um, <laughs> that i want to be on his plate mm-hmm. so you know we're, we're almost to the present in your story and i want to circle back to something that you mentioned, but we kind of glossed over, is that through a good portion of while you're building your company, you're still working. You you still have a job. And and what you I think what you said in in an industry that's not this, right? So like you're 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 kind of splitting your brain throughout the day of by day I'm this and by night I'm tough cutie. Yeah. How do you how do you do that? Or how, how did you, how did you make sense yeah. of that? What made you, I mean, was it just a, Hey, I got to do what I got to do type thing or, or, or was there another reason? Uh, sometimes it was, I got to do what I have to do because I have these real bills <laughs> that I have yeah. to get paid. <laughs> these very real bills. I don't know. I mean, I just, some of it is this like superwoman syndrome that we have to feel like we need to do everything. I think that contributed to it. Some of it's being risk averse, you know, as Mm. you know, you just, you just don't know how things still don't know how things are going to turn out. Right. And just needing to plan for myself, plan for, you know, I don't have any children, but I do have other people in my life that I support in various ways. And so that 
is a very real thing that I think about and kind of drives me, drove me to, to figure out a balance. Yeah, like I said, that's why I was out at the bar with my drink and my laptop because right. I had to figure out how to be like a real person but manage these two things. I know a lot of, of Black women, women in general, people in general too, but I've spoken to who do this, who live these double lives. And right. you just do it until you can't. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I... I... I think part of it is when I hear you when I hear you talk about that, part of it is is kind of like I can be like, okay, you know, I get it. Like bills are there, you know, and, and in some ways, you know, whatever percentage of businesses don't end up succeeding. So you kind of like an investor, you're kind of hedging against yourself, right? Like you're going all in in this, but you also know some of it's outside of your control. So you're also going to keep your career going at the same time. But as you alluded to, there are some people who don't even have to live this double life, who don't. whose journeys and and entrepreneurship allow them to dive all the way in. And and when people talk about Black-owned businesses or or see Black entrepreneurs building their brands and doing their things or or at least critiquing them, a lot of people don't know what they were doing an hour ago or or who else they have to consider every time they do this. That Superwoman cape that you talked about, does it ever become too much, too heavy? Yeah, it, it definitely has become too heavy. Entrepreneurs, to go back to your early, earlier comment, we're kind of crazy. So, and this is, I don't think gender, I think this is gender neutral. Like, so, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of crazy. So, we probably do things that aren't really that healthy anyway. And I, you know, trying to work on that and figure out how to better take care of myself. Because it's just essential to do so. But everybody has to go through their journey. And, you know, a lot of mine has just been figuring out what that is for me and not not thinking that and just like accepting that for what it is, you know. And I, I, I had a lot of anger as I saw other people get things that seemed like so easy for them to get. Right. And I'm over here like struggling despite being very well educated, like despite having proven myself in this industry, you know, I've read other entrepreneurs who've started apparel based businesses and they didn't even know like what a tech pack was, which is like a specification document that says how you build your product. Like people didn't even know what that was. Right. And meanwhile, I had literally just built a new like technology system and deployed a new technology system that was all about like not only building tech packs, but like doing the workflows, doing the automation, like my, my other careers in technology. So like it, when, when you think about when people say things like, oh, black people, women, we have to be X percent more, X percent better, twice as good. Like that's very real, you know, yeah. uh, it's not it's not even like it's just. Some people want to think of it as something, you know hyperbolic or whatever like it's it's very real and i can see it in my own life where had things been a little bit different and yeah i got in my own way a couple times too every entrepreneur will but there are some things where i'm like wow like you you this person probably could have wrote it on the back of a napkin and then it's right. accepted it's done. Not a kind of like document xyz cite my sources like blah 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 but mm-hmm. i think a lot of my journey has just been kind of 
accepting that or just not getting so mad at that that I get stuck in it because it's also mm-hmm. very easy to do, to play the comparison game and you don't know what's really going on with people. So I try to just say that and keep moving and focus on me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a very under, underappreciated skill that black entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs to know that the game is rigged and be like, you know what? I'm going to play anyway. I'm still going to win, you know? And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, and, and, and unless you really get that, you, you know, people don't really know what you're talking about when, when you say that. Yeah, um, and, 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 and that's why I appreciate you walking through a little bit of, of that journey because a lot of people, I think the country over the last couple of years has been trying, has wanted, I don't know if want is the right word, has been exploring what racism looks like in 2022, you know? And, and that was the best I could come up with. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, they, they may hear people say, you know, I got to be twice as good just to get half as far, but they don't actually know what that looks like. And, and, and you, and so I appreciated you bringing us into what a day as Brittany actually looks like. This is what it means to have to be twice as good to get half yeah. as much. And, and, and I think when you make it concrete, my hope, like you said, you know, sometimes it's ignorance. My hope is that sometimes people will listen, you know, and, and they'll get it. But we forge on anyway. I know you, you talked about REI. What else is in, in the horizon for, for you and Tough Cutie, as much as you can see, you know, at least? Yeah, I mean, I finally am like taking off that cape a little bit. So I have uh, given notice at my full-time job. So there is a defined time period where I will be full-time on Tough Cutie very, very soon. Yeah, <laughs> really awesome. excited about that. And um, it's really important, like a... I'm doing it at a point where, you know, I feel like my business can support, like I can support myself and feel comfortable with the level of risk. Like not everything's figured out, but I do feel comfortable with it. So I'm going all in. So that's exciting. I've hired someone, so I'm not going to be doing everything alone. (laughs) Um, And that's been a big thing is, so I kind of like the next horizon for me is probably going to be like, what does it mean to not be in control of everything and like hand over the reins to people I trust and like, Mm. you know, let go a little bit of something that is so near and dear to me. But I think that'll be the next iteration is like me as a leader and not as a doer. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Value of One, The Power of All, a podcast created by the Ron Brown Scholar Program. If you want to hear more inspiring conversations like this one, don't forget to click subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about the organization, check us out at ronbrown.org.